This episode of How To Wrestling was requested by Ahmad Alawadi, one of our lovely backers over at patreon.com forward slash howtowrestling, where you can get access to a whole lot of extra listening for your ears, as well as support this show and keep it 100% fan and listener supported, and most importantly, ad-free. Head over there now to access Joe's new favorite series, Pay-Per-View Classic, where every month she sets a new brief for a type of wrestling show she wants to watch, and then our lovely backers and Patreon and I, we decide to head back into the past and pick one out that may fit her brief so far we've had the likes of Halloween Havoc 1995 All Japan Women's Destiny 95 as well as that we've had a crossover episode with Mr. Billy Keeble from the Out of Chair podcast looking at Survivor Series 08 December to December 2006 and most recently we had a look at Vengeance 03 because Joe's obsessed with Vince McMahon and I need all of your help because Joe is obsessed with Vince McMahon at a level I never thought possible before doing a classic pay-per-view review series as well as that you get all of aw reviewed you get all of wwe reviewed pay-per-view recaps q a video episodes from joe where she answers all of your questions no matter your budget there's plenty of rewards on offer and as well as that don't forget coming into 2021 give your project your podcast your youtube series your website your book your thing give it a big boost by exposing it to our fabulous listeners here head over to how to wrestling's patreon page to find out more information about how you can about how you can sponsor an episode but for now it's time to get settled in head off to the land of the rising sun and watch one of the scariest to witness and also one of the most breathtaking to behold wrestlers of all time it's the one the only it's time for how to manami toyota friends and welcome to an episode of how to wrestling the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling how to get into wrestling how to understand wrestling and goodness knows maybe even how to enjoy wrestling and today we're looking at the flying angel the queen of queens manami toyota arguably the greatest wrestler of all time hello once again it's me your old pal cowboy kevin joined by my flying angel and queen of queens joe graham hello how are you doing today joe i'm very well thanks yeah i'm really excited for this episode manami toyota only like can't say arguably because like everyone who knows anything about wrestling agrees she is the best wrestler in the world of all time and saying like the greatest women's wrestler feels like you're kind of needlessly categorizing at that point absolutely because like who who looks at aj styles and goes he's the greatest male wrestler of all time like you just don't you never hear that it's AJ so Styles oh, I'm the greatest male wrestler okay because I am male that's very important that you know that ironically though AJ Styles out of everyone probably would put the preface male given that he actually respects like female wrestling quite a good lot so yes Minami Toyota this is someone who you have actually had a little bit of experience with before over on our Patreon page I want to tell people about our fun side series that we've done to maintain our sanity during lockdown. Well, yeah, lockdown's happening and we were like, wow, everything's terrible for everyone. We're stuck inside all the time. 
We can't go see our friends or family. We can't go see Monday Night Raw in the Manchester Evening News Arena this November. And you know how much we love to do that. We absolutely do. <laughs> and yeah, we were like, we, we need a little treat for ourselves and for our lovely listeners. Like we, we need something to cheer us all up, I think. So we, we decided to do Pay-Per-View Classic, which is our excuse to look back at silly pay-per-views, good pay-per-views, interesting pay-per-views, basically anything that isn't current day pandemic wrestling. Which, honestly, you do need to, to gargle your, your mouth out a bit now and then. And Manami yeah. Toyo is a perfect, perfect cure for that. And I will say today's episode, more so than most is done with a view to those of you who perhaps over this festive period maybe wanted to look at some amazing wrestling and as a result I would say definitely check out howtowrestling.com on this episode page because there'll be lots of recommended bonus viewing and all that. But over on Pay-Per-View Classique, which once upon a time was a series looking at different types of pay-per-views before you hijacked it and turned it into a series exclusively looking at the trials and tribulations of Mr. Vince McMahon. Hey, you're just lucky that I didn't like just start my own podcast just about Vince. Yeah, this is Vince McMahon versus Zach Gow headlines our latest episode <laughs> but we did go a while back looking for some women's wrestling we had a few mm. different shows that were put up so i i give a brief basically that's the idea every month for a type of show i want to see and for the one that manami toyota came out i asked for a women's only pay-per-view and i can't remember the name of the show what was it destiny all that japan women's wrestling destiny 1995 which... bit of a misnomer though because it wasn't all women no it was mostly women mm. and then there were like two mini wrestlers and i can't remember who were men who were men it should be pointed and they were portraying famous men Mm. but yeah it was other than that on the four hour card it was all women which was pretty impressive i'm still i'm really gutted that we didn't get some female people with dwarfism because i would like i feel like that you never get to see people with dwarfism who are women in In wrestling wrestling, particularly underrepresented yeah yeah. and you know i wanted an all women's pay-per-view that was not all women disappointed <laughs> you weren't disappointed though when you laid eyes on Manami Toyota in the main event she took on Hakuto in that match a match which involved I believe like a, a dark wedding dress when they're coming out at the start a woman diving off the top and, and like, there was a lot of iconic imagery there were a lot of dives and on a show that had already featured a lot of fast-paced wrestling that was kind of ahead of its time even now it seems ahead of its time. For 1995, it seems like looking into a fucking alternate reality. <laughs> Do yeah. you remember some of the first impressions that Manami made upon you in that match? She's, first of all, she's incredibly striking visually. She's got a great look, which mm. is, of course, incredibly important in wrestling. But I think especially so in Japan, in Joshi wrestling, because of the the structure of a wrestler's career in Japan and the way that you are allowed to have more embellishments and adornments as you get more successful and and renowned within your field. Right, so if you're starting off as a a young wee Joshi, uh, you're probably going to be wearing very, very plain, basic attire. You're probably going to be wearing a black swimming costume. (laughs) Yeah, and that's why like Asuka, for instance, is a great example. She's kind of covered in all sorts of of doohickeys and pieces of flair and stuff like that because she's defeated so many rivals over the years. Manami's look, I mean, I would use two words to describe her. I would use shiny and I would use hunk. I mean, are those correct <laughs> correct terms for Manami Toyota? Yeah, definitely. Although, it's funny you say shiny because, like, to me, shiny is a bit more of a... Um ambiguous term not necessarily right. so positive i know what you to yeah, me, you, I, you mean she, greasy sometimes i do mean shiny. greasy yeah i would say manami's more sparkly okay sparkly that's all right in that she's just you know she you can tell 
she's just incredible. She's just naturally destined to be a wrestler. <laughs> it is interesting to probably spend a few moments, I think, to help folks who maybe haven't heard all the previous episodes or, or subscribe to the Patreon page. Just a little bit of a rundown of some of the things that make Joshi, which is the... Joshi literally means girl or like young woman in Japan. Unlike in America and the West mostly where you try and integrate the two rosters onto the same show, obviously still mostly kept separate, the companies that would be for women's wrestling and men's wrestling are completely separate. Mm. So if you ask a New Japan fan where the women's division is, that's (laughs) apparently a bad thing. And you know what? I think... I think it can work really well, the whole keeping the genders separate. I mean, obviously, it makes it a bit contentious with regards to, like, gender fluidity and stuff. But let's be honest, as a wrestling industry goes, I don't think many companies or promotions have gotten to that point yet. But I just think in terms of keeping it separate, one of the advantages is the women get to train from other women. And they get to see examples of female wrestlers who have been successful in their field and they never have their time pushed aside for a man which is exactly the problem that we get in every promotion in the west where there's women and men together with equal opportunities it is always kind of hard when yeah you're meant to look to the veterans and stuff like that it's like you know i remember thinking sometimes we've been looking at 2006 to 2010 period of time and it's like well who's the veteran it's like Trish Stratus, who's probably spent her entire career of having her time cut, you yeah. know, maybe getting the eight-minute main event here and there, if she's lucky. Like, you if know. there's spanking and clothes being taken off. <laughs> so, obviously, Japanese wrestling differs greatly in the kind of the culture, the style. We talked about in our Nakamura episode that there's a lot more of a basis on reality and using actual strikes in MMA and kind of synthesizing the, the struggle of the real, you know, fighting sports into entertainment but joshi in itself is a little bit different still i think one of the most striking differences we came across was how the women are trained and the kind of career trajectory you mentioned a bit of it there what what are some parts of that do you that you recall i don't know if this is just a joshi slash new japan thing or if this is a japanese wrestling thing Mm. or if this is even still like just a japanese cultural thing i'm not sure but in both promotions there is this culture where when you first come in you are essentially a what they call them a ring boy where you, you yeah, young boy a young boy yeah that's it and you, or a prelim girl <laughs> oh really that's the name right and the idea being that you kind of you do chores you help out you set up the ring you you take down the ring afterwards like you you put up the chairs you do all the boring shit there's also it extends a bit further than that sometimes where you know, we think we tell stories in the Terry Funk episodes of like you know people being there to take Baba's cigar ash when he's smoking. Yeah, you know, absolutely. like literally on their knees. In the Awesome Kong episode, we learned as well in Joshi that there can be sometimes a bit of a strange power dynamic there. And I'm sure it's not just Joshi as yeah. well. I bet there is stories from New Japan, but yeah, there does seem to be, and I think you get this in a lot of wrestling schools where there's this like power dynamic and not 100%. much safeguarding and the secrecy factor yeah. and proving yourself by how tough you are and how much you are willing to do and all that inevitably abuse does happen it, it is it, it's something i think and there's some of the kind of murkier stories that we touched on in, in awesome kong the one thing i'll always say is that i can't give you a big freaking expose chat about it because it's quite hard even <laughs> with all of our fabulous listeners who are more than happy to help out and pitch in with their their knowledge and expertise on on women's wrestling in Japan. It is even by Japanese wrestling standards 
quite secretive and not altogether documented. Well, there's a surprise given that it's wrestling, which is already very secretive and not well documented, especially when women are concerned. Yeah, and like, you know, there's some things about Joshi which to me are, I don't want to say disturbing, but they're so weird and so kind of obviously got that power imbalance there. Yeah. The the retirement age, the mandatory retirement age. We touched on this in the Destiny episode. But yeah, the mandatory retirement age, do you remember what it is? Is it 28? 26. 26. I always think it's older than it actually is. Oh my God. I would have had to have retired... Four, five years, four years, five. Four years. Here How we go. You hit know. thirty and you just start rolling those years down. I'm an old woman now. You see, twenty six is so young. Twenty six years young. Little babies. Yeah, I mean, it's it's quite quite hard to see that, and that is the kind of typical path. You know, you start off, you know, as a prelim or whatever. You you will have very basic matches where you get the shit beat out of you. Maybe as the years go on, you might get involved in some tag teams or some multi-person matches. You might get on some kind of bigger shows. You might get a bit of notoriety. Then you might get a character. You know, this is a slow story. It's Japanese storytelling and wrestling. I absolutely yeah. love it. And mm. I think it's something that the West could do. We could learn so much from. Yeah. We are so bad now at telling stories. I kind of feel weird about it, though, because... In a way, these stories are so easy because they're so relentlessly based on the kind of the reality of their lives in some respects, like who they train with, who they're teamed with, if team-ups don't go successfully or if, you know... Is that not, though, some of the best examples of wrestling storytelling you can think of when it's a character that is based by an exaggerated version of themselves? That's very true. And one of the coolest things, I tried tried very hard, as I always do, to try and find like a shoot interview or a video or a podcast or whatever with with our featured person or performer or whatever so I can kind of hear from their side or their point of view. And Minami, obviously, for many reasons, was very, very difficult. She was not particularly outspoken at, at points in her career. And obviously, there's the language barrier. Didn't find an Art of Wrestling episode there. <laughs> However, I did find her first ever interview, which was done like way, way back when she was like 17 or 18 or thereabouts. And it was translated. And it was all like... There was a bit of a culture gap there because there was a person saying like, "I think that you look like that you are a nice girl when you wrestle," and she's like, "Ha ha, of course I do." And then the interviewer is like, "But I know actually that you're a sadist," and then she's like, "Ha ha, oh you." <laughs> but in her first interview, she mentions she's asked like who she thinks her greatest rival will be, and she says Yamada, who is someone who we will go on to look at a match with and does become essentially her greatest rival. Wow. Because they trained together and then they teamed together and then they feuded together and then they teamed together and then they feuded together again. Mm. So like, that's kind of cool in of itself. And that I think lends itself to the Japanese storytelling being such a strength because I think wrestlers are more aware of who their rivals are than the companies that hire them. Yeah. And the trouble is in like the WWE or AEW, it doesn't matter who you think your rival is, it's who they think your rival is and they will put you against whoever they want. Yes. And they'll probably ruin it. So obviously like we've talked about you know, we mentioned earlier there's a little bit of that the Japanese style or what were some of the kind of the traits of, of what you might expect. Usually with the men, like well, a lot of the things you expect, you know, the hard strikes, you know, the, the submission moves, the, the kind of the takedowns and whatnot. Joshi, from what you've seen, uh, what would you say are some of the hallmarks or what stylistic traits? Fast. Yeah. <laughs> 
it, it's um I mean very strong style, obviously. Yeah, they they do do you get your strikes and your submissions still. Do I mean stiff or do I mean the other one that sounds like stiff but means something different? Snug. Snug. Yes, it's <laughs> snug. Thank you, Steve Austin. Absolutely. And I would say in some ways it's quite diverse because I think Western wrestling, especially of certain eras, has a very particular style in terms of like punch, punch, kick. Taunch, taunch, taunch. Yeah, Irish whip, suplex. And you kind of expect to see the same moves over and over again. And I'm sure in Japanese wrestling that is true to an extent, but it seems to be a lot more, at least with this period of wrestling, Mm. I I couldn't speak for current day, it seems very innovative, very experimental and very much like, okay, we've got these moves that we know how to do. How can we make them more interesting? How can we make them more exciting? It is really intriguing that it's kind of, you know, we have to remind ourselves the period we're going to be looking at here mostly is is from the early 90s. Yeah. And seeing some of the kind of, the stuff which will still make you these days go like, wow, if you saw like Kevin Owens or Seth Rollins, you know, do a move on the apron or dive crazy over the top to the outside right near a barricade. It's, it's stuff like that, but it's amped up so many times and I don't know if it's solely because of this, but because you've got a great variety of body shapes, you obviously got some very big, hench, monstrous women. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of very like waifish, tiny women who are absorbing an amount of damage that is just—it's breathtaking. It mm-hmm. is alarming on a whole other level when you see someone that small absorb that level of punishment, right? Yeah, and it's interesting as well because I think the way selling happens is kind of different to the way mm. Western wrestlers sell. Yeah. Like, I feel with Western wrestling, there's this whole issue of, like, you have to hide the real pain that you're in but sell a fictional pain. Yeah. And with Japanese wrestling, it seems to be... you. It's not quite the same, and I, I'm so sorry if I'm completely ignorant about what I'm about to say, but it seems to me more like they take the real pain that they are experiencing and know that their opponent is experiencing and, like, telling a story with it. Right, yeah, yeah, I see. So they're kind of, like, almost going with the flow, so to speak. Yeah, uh, you know? it seems a lot more natural. I feel like I hear a lot more grunts and not just silly, like, oh, they're doing the moves, so they're going to go, Bleh! type of grunts, as in, like, anguish, yeah. pain. I spend a lot of time watching these matches, and then, like, I have to, like... <laughs> I'd be like fixated watching like someone on the ground who's like <gasps> because the breathing sounds strange mm-hmm. or and I'm not sure is that just great performance or are they literally beating the holy fuck out of each other because that 26 years old retirement age it's not just there because like oh you're too old all of a sudden many women's careers didn't last that long you know why specifically women though like what what I thought women generally were quite like, I mean, we live longer than men, so why would we have to retire earlier? I think there is generally, like, there's, there's a number of factors there, obviously. You know, I think there are a lot of cultural factors about the, right. the role of women, particularly. I'm talking about this retirement age. I don't think that's the case now. I'm talking about, like, classic Joshi, which would have started in the mid to late 50s and, you know, carried on to the kind of the mid to late 90s before it had a kind of a, a dark period. You want to learn a little bit about the kind of potted history of that, surprisingly enough, or May Young episode, because there's a lot in there yeah. about all of that. I think a lot of it is that many of the women who are involved in it are of a lighter frame and I think are slightly more injury prone and right. not necessarily that like, hey, a man would not, not get that injury, but it's just that if there's this prevailing culture that if you hit your mid-twenties and you get injured, you're meant to retire, or you're going to have to retire anyway, and then you get an injury that's going to have you out for six to eight months, I think a lot of people just 
kind of wrapped up their careers earlier. Right. There's kind of like this weird humility and modesty with how quickly some women would wrap up their careers. Yeah, and I can kind of understand that. Like, I do think there is a kind of dignity with knowing when to retire gracefully, yeah. which I think a lot of older men from America could certainly do with using yeah. that lesson. Like, I think we could do with a bit of a, not necessarily a mandatory retirement age, but like a suggested one. A heavily implied yeah. retirement age. But it's, it is interesting though, because you kind of think that, particularly with Joshi, and I remember we watched a video from Super Eyepatch Wolf a while ago, and he, forgive me for forgetting her name, but he spent a lot of time talking about like a performer from Stardom. And Stardom is a kind of modern Joshi company not the biggest in the world. You're talking in front of a few hundred people, not tens of thousands like the heyday. And like he told like how like, you know, someone who was the top heel there, she retired and she was only very, very young, late twenties, early thirties. And you know, she had the big emotional retirement in front of like a hundred people. And yeah. I was like thinking if that was like anyone else out of in wrestling, they'd be like, no way am I fucking ending in a small crowd. But like that was their story and they were happy with it. You yeah, know? that's the thing. She had done everything she set out to do. And I, I think that's, that's a big difference as well, is I think culturally you are expected to set goals and achieve yes. them. Whereas in the West, it's more like, oh, just follow your dreams. It's, it's, it's much more vague and like, just keep going and do whatever makes you happy and gives you passion. Whereas I think, especially in that particular wrestler's example, you know, she she had dominated. She had yes. won everything she wanted to win. She'd gotten all the belts. She'd told her story. And then she'd gotten injured. And she just... So she it would have been foolish for her to continue wrestling. She wouldn't have been able to keep it up. So, like, Minami, you might be wondering, you know, seeing she only retired a few years ago in 2017, and she started wrestling in 1987... How she became sure. the exception mm. to that rule. Because she's obviously like a witch or a demon or something. Like she <laughs> she drinks children's blood. <laughs> Have you seen her? She literally has looked the same for like 60 years. Yeah, she she looks... She If you see her in later years, she looks she doesn't look older. She looks more mature. I think you said that yeah. when you were watching it. She just looks like she's like kind of a little bit more grizzled and that's all. <laughs> I think what happened with Manami Toyota, and I couldn't find like an... Ex- explicit like here's the reason why you know she's an exception to the rule but i think there's just a few women in japanese wrestling you know Aja kong is obviously another example as as well that once you reach a level of legendary status that like you're you're not going to retire like you're going to be the person who comes back a few times a year to you know be the legend or do the legends match or the 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 high profile you know main event or whatever and that was manami did for for many years Started at the ripe young age of 16 years young, did Minami, when some friends told her just to watch some wrestling. And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, this is fun. And then her friends were like, yeah, you should go do wrestling. So then she's like, okay, I will I will train to become a wrestler as soon as I leave school. What did she do before then? Because like, I don't believe it's possible to get into wrestling unless you have some kind of athletic background of some sort. All I could find was that she was a typical athletic yeah. secondary school student or high school student in in japan you know in himane which is where she grew up in a a slightly smaller town (laughs) like she would have been training to wrestle while still finishing in school yeah you know um and i i read in that early interview with her they were like are you allowed to do that and they're like oh yeah as long as you get your parents permission it's Mm. all right it's Kind of an odd thing to think of in the late 80s as a teenager going into that world because, you know, it's a huge success, Joshi, at that point. But, like, you you know you're going to get the fucking shit beaten out of you as a, as a young girl, right? What would... What would... <laughs> What could possibly drag you into that world? What 
it's wrestling. I mean, it's not different for Joshi. Mm. Any, it's like the same in any country you do wrestling. It's it's very physical. You know, you will get beaten up. I mean, if you go to any wrestling school, the first thing they'll tell you is this is gonna suck. Yeah, you're gonna be in lots of pain. You'll probably be sick a few times. Like literally throw up. It's just it's part of the business it's part of it's physically exhausting and it's really really tough so i don't think it's like you know she she had it particularly more hard than anyone else Mm. it's it just is it's really tough (laughs) do you think as well a part of it might be from the uh, destiny episode that we did i know that we found out that around this time in the mid to late 80s particularly joshi had become this kind of quite a big variety show and that you would have obviously you know the top team would also do like singles and you know like they would be on comedy shows and they'd be these kind of big you know media superstars essentially so i guess like the allure of wrestling back then is not just a case of like oh i want to go get beat up or i want to go beat people up is you could become a star of this ridiculous magnitude exactly sorry if if that's how i came across there that's not what i meant what i meant is i don't think that it was more dangerous for her than for any other teenager who was doing yeah. it because lots of wrestlers go into this as a young teenager. But what I think is, is you're absolutely right. With wrestling, it's to do with the passion and to do with this, this, almost like the stardom. It's like, I could be there. I could feel that adrenaline. I could feel the crowd, you know, yeah. their cheers waving over me. There's just such a feeling of like adrenaline and performance and... I don't know, fame and glory and power. It's like all these wonderful things. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of young women would have gotten chewed up and spit out, I think. Because oh, I'm sure. I, I can only you can watch like watch the glamour girls or, or any of the cool like kind of rock and wrestling stuff from Joshi in the early eighties and late seventies and like I'm sure you'd watch that and kinda of go, Awesome, I wanna be on top of the pops too <laughs> 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 And then you have to go and fucking get trained and wrestled by Aja Kong and have spinning back fists for breakfast. So <laughs> yeah. She began her success very, very early into her career, two years in of her training, and she has a match where she would have been one of those prelim girls. And how would you describe the prelim girls that we saw when we watched Destiny? Well, they tend to... I don't know if this is like a rule, but all of the prelim girls I've seen had short hair. They were very like... like They were... Androgynous. Androgynous, yeah. That they yeah. take away any embellishment, including femininity or masculinity. <laughs> yeah, you kind of like... they. I think you're kind of all expected to have this this same slightly short hairstyle, which is kind of like a very short bob. Right. You're expected to wear like a black swimming costume of some sort, like very plain, maybe like mm. the brand of the, the logo on, but like nothing personal, no adornments, nothing exciting or interesting. Right. The idea is you're you. I mean, we, we talked about it a bit in our episode on Shinsuke Nakamura. Yeah, he was just a young, handsome man, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he looks so boring when you first see him in his first match. And obviously he comes from that and becomes this very interesting character. It's designed to like, not to make you bored, but it's designed to make you care a little bit like less. Like you're not meant to view these competitors as being the finished product no. or like an established character or anything like that. I think it's so clever because I can only imagine that if you are in that position where you're forced to be this boring, nothing character, yeah. that you spend all of your time thinking and dreaming of this is what <laughs> yeah, I want what to be. be yeah. And you put so much effort in that one idea. Mm. Whereas I think in the West, you already get given a gimmick and it's like, oh, I don't really like this gimmick or, oh, I could do this a bit differently, couldn't I? But like, you don't really have full freedom or control. And it's hard to tell your story then when you've been through like 20 iterations exactly. of look and gimmick. So like, just to, to put that in perspective then, the fact that the, the legend goes that in, in 89, in a tag match 
and one of her opponents would be Yamada, who she trained with, that she completely stole the show, this tag team match, and it stole the show so much that they actually edited the commercial release to put that match on it, even though it was meant to be just for the people in the arena when they were showing up. And this is 1989 as well. Now, obviously, the Jumping Bomb Angels were a famous Japanese tag team from the time. They kind of had gained a bit of notoriety around the world, even being booked by Vince very, very briefly. But she was, even in 1989, apparently, showing like a fighting style and fighting spirit to go completely fucking Japanese wrestling on this that had not really been seen in in wrestling men or women's. The the screaming, the reckless abandon, the dives, the picture-perfect sequences of moves. Minami really reminds me, in many ways of someone like uh, uh like i don't need to just use male examples but like someone like a rick flair or a sting and I, a rick flair or a sting and i pick those simply because very often in the matches they go into sequences of similar moves and flair you know i remember that sting flair match we watched where it was like you know chop chop press slam you know corner splash manami has a lot of that except in it being chop chop it's like moonsault <laughs> top rope front drop kick dive to the outside she chain dives uh-huh. in a way that is still mind-blowing to me <laughs> she reminds me of or should i say this person reminds me of her casey catanzaro yeah a little bit i don't think she's wrestling anymore unfortunately but she was similarly like, she has come back actually oh really she has yeah, yeah oh that's great news she was very small flip de doo would do moves that, as far as I was aware, I'd never seen before. Mm. Like, changed moves that you kind of were familiar with and did something different with them. So fast, but also very... What's the word? I don't even mean strong, even though they are strong. It is like this tenacity, this fearlessness. Like, yes. This lack of hesitancy. Like, I might hurt you. I don't want to, but I might. Like, And I'm not afraid of that. It reminds <laughs> me of Sabu a little bit as yeah, well, in or, that or, respect. The commitment to jumping off something. Honestly, it reminds me of Sasha Banks. Like, yeah. She, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for better or for worse, though. Yeah, yeah. the kind of the fearlessness of it. Yeah, and I think like it is worth bearing that in mind that very often... People of a smaller stature, and I don't just mean women, because I saw this, you know, very often with with like just shorter, shorter men or shorter wrestlers, is that the ring often can seem like it's not designed for them, and that the ropes are too hard, or that the ring is too big, or yeah, that it's the, too much space to cover. The ropes are too high, or yeah. and despite the fact that she is in place of this fucking concrete ring for most of her career to say that she like owns it is an understatement (laughs) shall we get into a match then yay we're gonna start off from 1992 as minami toyota takes on kyoko inoya in all japan women's wrestling and i was very excited for this because i believe we saw kyoko in the destiny show as well yes, yes. she has a vague ultimate warrior color scheme yes <laughs> so anytime you pop on a bit of japanese wrestling if you don't speak the language it's still important that you watch the promos so that you can gauge the fire and i don't know why but i feel like every single joshi match i've ever watched two very polite women come out beforehand yeah. and very calmly speak and make you kind of go, oh, okay. That's the difficulty though, isn't it? Because you have no idea what they're saying. And as you say, like they could be talking about being sadists and stuff, but because they're standing there very polite and talking to the interviewer, like 
hello, yes, <laughs> I'm going to have a match now. It just You just assume that they're saying like, yeah. good spirit, I'm looking forward to this show. That's what I figured. <laughs> I figured that they were looking forward to, to the match because I think this match is definitely like two two beloved baby faces who were squaring yeah. off. They both just both seem very nice, polite young women. With zero words translated, I summed up the storyline as this. Kyoko is very eerily calm, whereas Minami Toyota is oppressively demure. What will happen tonight? <laughs> Imagine, imagine an angle like that in, in like WWE or AEW, like two female wrestlers, one is calm and one is demure. It's two, and they're going to beat the fucking yeah. shit out of each other. <laughs> I just like, I knew, I knew, like, even though, even though I've seen many a Manami Toyota match in my time now, every time she comes out, I still have this kind of like, oh, there, there she is. She looks, you know, kind of quite unassuming in many respects, you know, the nice fan favorite, you know, waves to the audience doesn't give you the sense of the fucking chaos that you're probably about to witness or the the, the zaniness that's about to unfold. Her ring gear is very kind of... Um, there's kind of a grandeur to her ring gear. Mm, an elegance, I would that's say. That's the word. Yeah, she's got this... It's it's Her ring gear is always black, which is very consistent. Mm. And also quite brave because, again, in Japanese wrestling and, and like Joshi and stuff black is generally associated as far as i know with the younger newer wrestlers or yeah it could be associated with you know you can take the colors to be what you want them to be right but yeah very often like the the heel colors are yeah. kind of associated or like the, the the lack of color like monochromatic stuff is usually viewed as being kind of less ornate or whatever but i think it's her own style oh, for no, sure yeah and it it's it fits her perfectly it looks very dramatic very kind of glamorous and elegant but also it looks it looks genuinely athletic like it's she wears this black coat with a few adornments at this point i mean she's been wrestling what three years so it's it's pretty impressive that she's got such an embellished look already she's got a few of them little rhinestone bits yeah. diamantes diamantes on her arms yeah and she's got like a um bodysuit is that what you'd call it yeah, it's it's like what um an ice skater would wear. Yes, that type oh, of a body, exactly the, the long it. sleeve and all that. Yeah, and she probably has the same number of spins and revolutions in her as a typical Olympic ice skater. <laughs> Something about Minami Toyota, which you pointed out early in in this match, and I was fixated for the rest of the matches was the fact that she has got legs like a fucking traction engine. Oh my god, I'm obsessed with her legs. <laughs> They're not literally... like traditionally thick with two C's now. But they are definitely, like, fucking powerful thighs. It, they're just amazing. I just can't stop every time they're there. I just have to, like, just stare at... I, like, kind of want a, a figurine in my house of just some legs like that. Like, they're just... <laughs> they're gorgeous. They're, like, such a cool shape. Like, like you can tell she's really, really strong. Yeah. But the thing is, like, because she's quite small as well, like, her legs aren't long by any means. They're quite short. Yeah. But they just look so so strong yeah, and yeah. like but not not in like a kind of vascular way that you might get these days like she's not she's not got like no body fat on her or anything no, no, she's just, just uh, a, a sl- sturdy sturdy is the fucking name of the game and to say that she's got the fucking balance of a mountain goat yeah and when, the speed as the well the speed i love like almost every match of hers i've ever seen she'll pretty much always jog or run to the ring yeah. and then the first move they do like 
a mirror dropkick where both of them will run high octane and just gonna go yeah like it's the start of a big fucking dramatic battle and it's one of the most amazing things that Manami brings in her matches is that I think there's this theory that you can have like kind of a, a passion play or a morality play in a wrestling match and it's kind of a slow like why did you know Roman Reigns look at his hands going why did I do this wrestling move why did I choose this line of work and then there's the other thing where it's just like high octane you know uh, technical wrestling and you're just sitting back in a marvel of what they're doing and like kind of clapping yeah. and whatnot. and there's no middle ground <laughs> and this is the middle ground yeah. because there is this like ferocity with both of these women that they want to like just as quickly and as you know resolutely as possible kick the fucking head off their opponents and yet there still is that kind of you can tell in the audience they don't know who they really want to root for you know it's there is a difficulty there it is edge of your seat stuff you know it, it's exhausting as well yeah definitely <laughs> i likened manami toyota to like Nathan Drake or Lara Croft in one of those video games that has a very easy to use climbing mechanic. Yeah. She kind of is the only person I've seen who climbs around the corner of the turnbuckle when she's thrown in. So, yeah. And so fast and... Yeah, quite often in wrestling these days, you do see people run up the turnbuckle and then they might even run up a second turnbuckle. But they'll do it quite slowly and they'll steady themselves along the way. Manami has this... I don't know if it's like ring confidence or mm. just practice or skill or She goes up ability. on like a spiral staircase. <laughs> it's she, really weird. She runs those ropes like up and down them and around them and that ring like a child runs up and down their childhood stairs. <laughs> like she just knows every footing, every foothold. She knows exactly where she needs to balance. There's none of this like looking down to steady herself and make sure her foot's in the right place. She just knows. I don't think I caught a moment of miscommunication of, you know, of a moment where a referee and a performer or two performers had to say, right, what are we doing here? Yeah, no pausing, like, okay, wait for them to get in their position. Okay, here we go. No time was killed. Nope. We were all, all these matches we were watching are in 30 minutes plus minimum, and there was no downtime. It was all, yeah. it was all meat, no fat, let's just say. <laughs> now, Minami was uh, very much a sympathetic baby face. In that she gets the unholy bejesus knocked out of her in most matches. And yet, most of the moves she received in this match, you relate to me, Joe, that you want to have done to you first thing in the morning. Yeah, some really nice stretching going on here. The uh, special surfboard one you liked particularly with the foot in the spinal column. Yeah, like this. Here we go. I just wish I had a foot on my back right now. I mean, if you turn, I could probably do, yeah, if you want me to. I think I'd need to pee first yeah that's all right yeah i'll I'll accidentally squeeze the piss out of you you wouldn't do that you wouldn't want that she has an amazing nickname and todd good friend of the podcast sent in a tweet to tell us about this which was the fans because of manami's ability to absorb inhuman amounts of punishment that she was given the very atypical joshi wrestling nickname of zombie and sometimes the fans would chant zombie at her because of the stuff that would happen to Minami. Wow. I mean, if you told me a wrestler who like kind of gets beaten up a lot and sells for most of the match, I'd usually be like, eh. yeah, I don't, I don't care about that. But it's fascinating to watch her. This <laughs> sense her heart, but it's fascinating to watch her in pain. <laughs> <laughs> because as you say, it's she displays anguish. Yes. Which you don't get to see very often in wrestling. Like occasionally in a really emotional storyline, like as you say with Roman Reigns 
once a year you might get some anguish but on the whole wrestling in the west when it conveys emotions it's it's pain anger and sadness it, it's not you know, or frustration it's not anguish which is such a complicated lovely emotion to yeah. try and communicate and i i like when you can tell a whole story about like you know someone being put through physical anguish yeah you know there's this thing that kyoka is doing she's chaining these submissions she did this like bow and arrow lock another one which she said you wanted done where she laid minami across her knees and then just went back and bent her like a pretzel across her 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 legs lovely yeah you you were pretty like we had to bust out the wrestling toys to this one so joe could figure out what ones i could do to her <laughs> like, you know, safely and which ones would actually help Another thing which Minami does in this match and most of her matches, and it it brings a great video game quality to it, and she does it better than most video games manage to pull it off, which is she will do her signature moves irrespective of the place her opponent is in the ring. Yes. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does, because that's something that has always bothered me about wrestling. Really? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I've said this in one of the first episodes. And it's one of the things I love so much about Samoa Joe is that he does a little bit of that sometimes as well. As mm. does actually Kevin Owens. Interesting. It's the gamers, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> in the, in wrestling, there's obviously there's a big emphasis on safety and cooperation. Yeah. And oftentimes that means if wrestlers haven't had the chance to practice properly, they the moves aren't done in the right time or order. Mm. Or sometimes there's a pause where there shouldn't be and they're while they're waiting for someone to get in position... Not with Manami Toyota. She's just like, well, if you're not in position, I just got to find a way to make me be in position. <laughs> yeah, the, the style is pretty much, well, I'm going now. So. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, that's good, because it's a fight. You wouldn't, in a fight, you don't wait for your opponent to walk up to you or open their eyes. It's just... <sighs> she does this beautiful front drop kick yeah. where she will kick you with both of her feet and she lands flat on her back with her arms out. Daniel Bryan does a very similar kind of thing and he does that kind of big accordion like, you know, the legs kick out and it's very, very cool. His, his, his inf- his, her influence on his, his style and career oh, is, is so obvious. Oh, especially since his injury yes. and his retirement, he came back because there's a way, and I think it's probably partly how she's been able to wrestle for so long, which is when she does these drop kicks, she looks like she's landing on her head and neck. Mm. She's not. She's landing on her back and shoulders. But it looks disgusting and so impressive. And her big hair obviously makes yeah. it look, you know, like even more devastating. It's really, really smart. But I think actually it's very safe. Yeah, and I, I know think that's, so, yeah. Daniel Bryan, since he's come back, he's he's wrestled exactly that style. Yeah, he's, he's, he's modified it a little bit. And I just, I love this whole thing though of, you know, if you're expecting a drop kick, if it's going to happen in WWE, the person's going to hit you dead on the chest and you're going to land, you know, on the hard cam so everyone can see it. And, like, there are points where her opponent, you know, Kyoka is just to her side and she gets you know, one of the two feet on the top of her shoulder. There's another time she goes to do it and she's so just out of place, I couldn't tell if she was meant to hit her or not. But Kyoka was, like, one step to the side and Minami goes to do the big drop kick, and she just sailed right through the ropes because yeah. <laughs> she's so, you know, fucking like a leaf, just whoosh, straight. Oh, my God. There's another time she did a cross body, but it was to the person's back. Yeah. You know, they didn't catch him front on. They caught him on their back. Fucking hell, it's incredible. They did a special submission move that I love a lot. The, the Mexican surfboard stretch, Joe. Uh, have I been successful in my attempts to apply this as of yet? 
I don't want you to do the surf Mexican surfboard. I don't think that would be nice. You pick it up and go, way. I the cooperation, the teamwork. Yeah, I just don't like the idea of having legs trapped between my knees. Because you did the figure four leg lock on me a while back and that was beautiful. At her request. Yeah, no, I did ask. I asked him to because I thought it would be nice. But... <laughs> I thought it would be nice. I am someone who would sleep on spikes if I could. That is true, yeah. I like strange things. You do? But yeah, there's... There was a few different types of moves here where she takes something that is familiar to us and then makes it different and something else. So she didn't really do a Mexican surfboard because there was some swinging involved and there was also like a crab thing. Yeah, so at the start she was putting the surfboard stretch but instead of normally when you, you're holding the person by their arms and their, their legs backwards and their kind of face and torso is, is facing towards the mat. And usually you'll roll backwards and press them up so that the two of you are kind of pushing the other person up towards the sky. It's a very impressive thing. The whole abdomen gets bent and all that. But instead of flipping backwards, they kept them in that cradle position and Kyoko just kind of rocked her back and forth. And then she rolled forward on her yeah. and brought her up that way. I don't know how you roll on someone keeping all of their limbs back and their body prone and not just fucking crush them. I don't know. I'm going to call this move the Mexican crab swing. Oh, I like that. Inverted Mexican crab swing is, is the alternate. <laughs> there are a couple of things which Manami does which are, are of exceptional quality. One is when she kicks out in a match and it's it's late in the game mm. and it's like a little bit harder. You know, sometimes Diamond Das Page, when you do DDP yoga, he'll go pinfall into bridge <laughs> and then he'll say, take it to the bridge. And then other times when it's really high amp it up, he'll go, squeeze those glutes. Mm. It's your butt. <laughs> Manami, when she kicks out, I don't think she takes it to the bridge. She fucks the bridge up. Yeah. <laughs> this demon exorcist kick out that she does where she muscles the person out using her hips and crotch yeah fuck me man yeah going into kind of like a crab thing is that like the ultimate keggle exercise or something no i don't think it's keggles <laughs> i think it would be the ultimate deep hip thrust or ah, something. you do deep hip thrust right yeah yeah so what what, what power do you gain from deep hip thrust Does that mean that you'll be like extra good at doing flips is that it i don't know i just do it because it gives you a round bum this matches why gifts exist by the way the stuff that's happening in it the manami roll which we spent ages trying to figure out it's when she like kind of <laughs> turns herself into a wheel and rolls over the person's body and then goes up above and beyond so Manami then has the joy of being put in a rather spectacular big swing. Yes, 15 spins from Kyoko. Very fast. Yeah, I, we were better at counting it than a typical American audience seems to be at counting spins. Yeah. And the way you could tell how fast it was is that she was almost exactly perpendicular to uh, Kyoko when she was spinning her. There was none of this, like, you know, dragging around like a lawnmower on the ground. She was in the air spinning as fast as possible i was worried her arms were going to come off at one point <laughs> it bodes badly for modern wrestling watching when a lot of the moves here were just like way more impressive versions of things current wrestlers do yeah like kyoka does this you know darby allen in AEW, he does the coffin drop where he just jumps backwards with his arms crossed oh yeah she did that, but she ran it across the ring and did a running jumping springboard version of it incredible you know it's only 17 no 
20 minus... Do, do, do. Are you working out how old this match is? 28 years. I could have told you that because it's the two... It was two. You were two? Yes. Fucking hell. Little two-year-old. This is absolutely ridiculous. So, yes, Minami, not one, not two, but three dives in a row. And we just get this insane sequence of near falls towards the end. Kyoka keeps hitting her with these big old power moves. And then Minami hits her spectacular finisher, which I wrongly called the Queen Suplex. And I called it that because there was a video game where you could get a character called Black Widow, the WCW game on N64. And it was just Minami Toyota with a different name. And they called her finisher the Queen Suplex. It's not actually called that. It's called the Japanese Ocean Cyclone Suplex. Wow, what a name. What a fucking name. And Minami picks up the win in this very breathtaking, outstanding matchup. Yeah, I liked this match a lot. It was some really excellent wrestling. Clash of Styles, which I really liked. Oh, yeah? In what way? Well, that we had, like, a lot of submissions and power against, like, dives and, you know, rolls and flips. Yeah. You know, that was really cool. Felt very NXT for me, someone who only started watching wrestling with NXT in 2016. Like, there's, as you say, so many moves from, like, Tammy Zayn and Cesaro and stuff that, like... The influence is the, obvious, yeah. yeah. The influence is obvious, but as you say, like, she does it better and faster and more interestingly and with a twist. <laughs> I think if... If you're kind of questioning the best wrestler in the world moniker, I would just say, like, I have no gripes with it if you view it from who can do the widest variety of maneuvers with the highest success rate and quality. Do you know how many five-star matches she has? Mm, How many? 17. Wow. Which is, I believe, a record of sorts. Yeah. She's one of only three people or four people in the world to receive multiple five-star matches on one night. And this is from Dave Meltzer. This is from Dave Meltzer. She got her first five-star match when she was 18 years old. But never mind about Dave Meltzer and his smelly ratings. How about your ratings? Because not many people have gotten five-star match ratings from Joe Graham. That's true. She's a lot harder to impress than a young nubile Dave Meltzer in the 90s in Japan. So <laughs> what have you got here? So I gave this match four stars out of five. It, for, for the excellent wrestling, you know, obviously. Yeah, I didn't get a perfect score because of the lack of story, which mm. I think will be a bit of an uphill battle for me, obviously, not speaking Japanese. Yes. <laughs> And I must admit, like, even with the help uh, of, you know, even with the help of our listeners, and even with there's some really great resources out there, great podcasts, great websites, you know, dedicated to helping you kind of break down the barriers and get into Japanese wrestling and stuff like that. And while New Japan Pro Wrestling have certainly done a much better job in recent years of reaching out to the West and letting everyone be able to watch their service quite easily, I'm still left often splitting hairs and pulling the few other ones out wondering why it's so hard to get this content it's yeah. really hard to come across yeah. and a lot of the matches that we were recommended were ones that were like yeah two years ago someone had uploaded them onto youtube but that joshi account you all like got taken down so like what do you do it's kind of it's it's money left on the table i think people would love this shit <laughs> yeah but i guess who would who owns it i think it is technically it's it's because in Japan, I believe, like the the rights will be owned by all different kind of corporations and such right. like that. I guess I don't know if I was WWE or someone looking to make my streaming service have a bit of something special, this would be it. 
<laughs> as if they're gonna do it what like you have, you have all the fucking nxt uk pedophiles watching old new gen matches talk about how inspirational they are how won't you have the women watch these matches and talk about them and like introduce a playlist from you know from the the top women's wrestlers talking about these great women's wrestlers and maybe we can no, up the standards a bit then like. inevitably the discussion will be had of why isn't women's wrestling as good as it used to be in <laughs> 90s japan that was something i wanted to ask you about like were you surprised by like manami like melser has went out of his way to always say you know as, as one of the preeminent wrestling journalists that she's like, you know one of the greatest performers of all time they did a poll in like 2009 where it's like she is the greatest women's wrestler ever like past present future were you surprised or do you get any surprise from dave melser's love of of japanese women's wrestling given his lack of uh enthusiasm for some of the women's wrestling in recent years no, because Dave Meltzer likes good wrestling, but he, it's funny, he's kind of sits in between the places of being a journalist and being a critic, but he lacks, I think, a lot of the skills necessary to be a truly good critic. And a lot of the nuance for being a, a journalist, perhaps. Yeah, <laughs> in that I think he's able to, you know, give his opinion, great, and explain why his opinion is the way it is, but he lacks the forethought to be able to go okay so why is this the product that we have like he hasn't quite been able to go that many steps to go because he he obviously he likes women's wrestling he doesn't dislike it but he often says it was better back in the day or it was better in japan and i think the trouble is he automatically just goes oh that's just because the wrestlers aren't as good rather than okay there's a lot of very complicated reasons why they're not being pushed and the wrestlers don't get the opportunity to be as as good and stuff like that you know and it's always worth bearing in mind you know during all this period in the the mid 90s and stuff like that the few women who were being trained in america were being trained with the men like you know that's that's the thing that always just flabbergasts me you know about all this it's just it was kind of a a willful kind of cutting of the legs of of women's wrestling and this was a match now we're coming up on next, which broke the star rating system uh, back in the day. And everyone was talking about Kenny Omega, how he had a six-star match, you know, a couple of years back. But that match that we watched, you may have given it four stars. Dave Meltzer gave it five stars and what appeared to be three plus signs as well. Okay. So not six stars. Not, and if I get the pluses, because if they were asterisks, you'd think, oh, it's a five-star match, but three out, you know, <laughs> outstanding criteria that need to be addressed. I feel like we need an on-cinema match rating system <laughs> where it's like, I give this match, I don't know, one singlet and three uh, cups of soda. Yeah, I give it two stars and three cups of soda, three bags of soda. for one a bottle of bubbly. <laughs> so... Coming up next is a match which was, everyone was like, I don't care what you do for Manami Toyota, if you have to do this match, like people are talked about this in, in hushed tones in terms of its importance and how it struck them and whatnot. We're going for title match, but it's also hair versus hair as Manami Toyota takes on Toshio Yamada, her old training partner turned tag team partner turned bitter rival. And the whole thing about it was that Minami was kind of flashier, she had more success, so she kind of outgrew the tag team and she became more of a solo star. And then when Yamada tried to get her own career going, she was having success, but anytime she came up against Minami, she always lost or she always ended up having a draw and she never was able to do it. Until finally, and Minami's getting a bit cocky at this point because she's beaten her so many times, 
Finally, Yamada does manage to beat Minami in a non-title match and in a fit of fury afterwards, Minami's like, well, fine, if you think you can beat me, put your hair on the line. We'll have it for the title then. So that's where we have the highest of high stakes, former friends, people who know each other intricately well, taking each other on in a match I didn't really think we'd be talking about when we're talking about, you know, hardcore Japanese wrestling. Hair versus hair. That's a gimmick we've covered once before, I think, on the podcast. Yes, I know there was the one with Vince and Donald Trump. Ah, yes. Ah, back when we normalized Donald Trump. Sorry about that, folks. Yeah. Really sorry we did that, you know. Edge and Kurt Angle, of course. We had oh, yeah, uh, yeah. hair versus hair as well. Is that all of the ones we've done? I think so. I believe so, yeah. So is this like, were there hair versus hair matches generally around this time? Hair versus hair is one of the main places you would have found it is actually Mexico. Because very often times, if you didn't have a mask to put up on the line as a stipulation, the hair was something which was kind of almost equally a prize to possession. Yeah. Uh, Chris Jericho, when he was a young lad in Mexico, would have had to put his lion heart locks on the line several times. And very often what was done in in American wrestling was that it was usually like a heel who had kind of, you know, very nice hair, whatever it was. And maybe it was a heel who was actually balding anyway. And they wanted to do a, a whole gimmick based around that. There was one... I had heard that they wanted to do Honky Tonk Man. It was the greatest never used gimmicks ever where he wanted to lose a hair versus hair match because he had the Elvis kind of pompadour or whatever. He wanted to lose the match and then come out next week with the most ridiculous fake Elvis wig ever and then claim Jimmy Hart had this new tonic and they'd start trying to shield the tonic. Like, <laughs> it works, baby! It's unbelievable! It grew his hair back in an evening! <laughs> Two women doing a hair versus hair match, does that have any kind of different repercussions or anything like that? Or is it is it got kind of strange vibes? Would you reckon there's been many women's hair versus hair matches in, in, in time? The only one I've heard of was the famous one with it was it with Molly Holly? Yes. Where she shaved her head off or she 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 propositioned a hair versus hair match so that the women would have a match on yeah. the show that they were on. WrestleMania 20, they it, were yeah. going to bump the women. The women's championship match between Victoria and Molly Holly. Fucking hell. Uh, the reason is, though, don't judge this, they already had, they already had a women's match. They had the, the Playboy tag team match oh, right, of right. Stacey and Jackie then. against Tori and Sable. So, like, you don't want to have too many women on your card. <laughs> Fuck's sake. But, yeah, that is... Molly Holly, like, gave her hair for women's wrestling. Yeah. Uh, so, what were you expecting from the, the stipulation of the hair versus hair involving these types of wrestlers and these types of women? Wasn't expecting anything. I was completely going in with my eyes shut. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I wasn't. I wasn't trying to expect anything because I've only seen two hair versus hair matches and none involving women, and certainly none involving Japanese wrestlers or in a Japanese promotion. So yeah, I had no idea. And you didn't know anything about the outcome or the aftermath of this match before you watched it? No. Ooh, people are excited to find out. Very distracting in this match. Please correct for me to do any additional viewing. The referee had horizontal stripes on his shirt. Didn't like that. Why? Because it's meant to be vertical. Like, it's horizontal. You said he looked very European. Yeah, I said he looked French. Like, he's <laughs> carrying a baguette. <laughs> like, if the Beano was through a crude approximation yeah. of a French person. This match is kind of a different pace from the last one in respect that Minami is much more in control. I guess the story is meant to be that Minami is the flashier, the more successful. And, like, they have very strikingly different looks and styles. Because Madame is, you know, long hair, 
a little bit more embellished this time, a little bit more kind of uh, grandiose, I yes. would say. Yeah, definitely. Yamada looks quite plain, considering. Yeah. Considering like she is of, of equal experience. She has obviously a bit of colour and stuff like that. She wears kind of purple and green, but you know, she has the short hair. And what I found really interesting about this is that almost all of her moves were like submissions and such. But she still was able to do this really super fast, like if, you know, running the ropes, keeping up with Minami, you know, Minami would do one of her crazy kicks and it would be turned into a submission. Usually when someone does those grapply things, they're usually kind of going to be a bit of a slower match, I would have would have reckoned. I mean, this match was much slower than the first yeah, one. Yeah, I think so. Especially at the start, it did take a little time to warm up. <laughs> this match was quite like a dance, I found. Oh yeah, you know? in what way? Well... Lots of, like, limbs being caught. Like, there was a lot of this kind of, someone would dive off something and then their hands would be caught and their shoulder and they'd give this dramatic look and then it would be turned into this big twisting sequence that would then happen yeah. from that. It looked like dancers fighting or fighters dancing, probably. Contemporary dance. Very good. You've brought that up before. In oh, the, in the I have. Podcast. That's yeah. the type of dance that wrestling most reminds me of. Yeah, it's really good. The only thing they were missing here were some blue lights and then some like kind of allusions to incest and then it would have oh. been proper. <laughs> <laughs> they did this really cool move, which reminds me of something I used to do in like the playground with my friends. Oh God, I'm really scared looking at the list of moves here. Which one was this? Somewhere they rolled around together with their legs out. Yeah, I'm calling it Around the World because it's very, like, it looks very silly. They, they're kind of, like, upside down with each other. I don't know how to explain this. One of them's upside down, one of them's not upside down, but they both have their legs out and they're both, like, rolling around in a big circle. Yeah, it's kind of like they're in a, just in a regular kind of pinning position, like, with the person's legs up around. It's this infinite roll that they do. Yeah. We've seen, like, other, like, wrestlers do it before, I think, but there was a fluidity here. Like, they were, she was aggressively rolling the person. <laughs> it was like, really fun. They're going to get, a he- would you get a headache after doing that? Because it felt like you get a headache after doing that. I think you'd just be a bit dizzy, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yamada does bust out a couple of spin kicks here and there's a few that she just so casually does to Minami and she oh my god I don't know is it the hair that she was able to kick the hair or is it just the fact that Minami falls like bones out of a bag <laughs> oh my god the noise from the crowd when Minami starts making her comebacks she like has this the crowd were Unlike any Japanese crowd I'd heard, you'd mentioned about not really hearing Japanese crowds chant people's names as much. Yes. But Toyota was something we heard constantly in these matches. Yeah, I, th- I thought I could hear a few different chants in this one. I and think I'm the not Sumata sure. ones maybe as well. Maybe, but like, I, I, I'm, I'm so bad at recognising chants even when they're in English. Yeah. And so I I am very worried that like anything I heard was just imagined by me. Maybe they're chanting zombie in Japanese. <laughs> well be, Yeah. <laughs> There were some beautiful suplexes in this, and uh, we talked a little bit about bridges uh, and suplex bridges. What's, what what happens when a suplex has a bridge, Joe? And see if you've remembered what we learned uh, while watching the match. It's when you do a suplex, but you keep your legs kind of curved, like you're doing a crab, and then you stay on your pointy tiptoes when you suplex them. It is very impressive, the crazy bridges that these women do. They could do the thing from Ultimate Muscle where they put the bed of nails and like say do a suplex with a bridge. (laughs) Easy peasy. She does a suplex off the top rope with a bridge as well. Yeah. So to take that level of a bump but then to still be able to arch your legs up, how do you do that without breaking legs? I don't know. If I take it to the bridge too much, I think I'll break my legs sometimes. I don't know how... 
her legs are just non-human, I guess. <laughs> All these suplexes as well, where she like crosses their arms around in like a little kind of straitjacket thing. Now that made me very scared because I thought you're all boxed up together like this. How do you not just get really, really sore and really, really hurt? Well, I can't remember what it was I did. There was something, it was like gymnastics or dance or something, okay. where there is something where you come behind your opponent or your dance partner, whatever, and you do wrap their arms around themselves. Yeah, the hands across. I, that is something you do do in gymnastics, then, yeah. Sometimes, yeah, because if you if you if you then hold their arms there and you're standing behind them. You're basically keeping their whole body tucked in. Ah. And then you have power then to like kind of move them where you want to a little bit. Okay, so it's probably actually a little... Could be safer in the, the right arms, I, I guess. Do, yes! Please don't give me a Japanese cyclone suplex, Joanna. Okay, I, I won't. do not want that to happen. Minami gets fucking suplexed over and over. The point of which the announcers start to grunt. <laughs> Did you hear that when the announcers went, Oh! <laughs> I was un- fucking unbelievable. She gets like seven or eight suplexes in a row done to her. And uh, something that was pretty cool is like, as the match went on and the, obviously the physical toll was taking place, the prelim girls on the outside, did you notice what they were doing with them when they were like kind of knocked out and on, on, lying out on the floor and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, they were wiping the mat clean and the ropes dry and stuff like that. They were, giving them, they were mapping their brows as yeah, well, giving them a sip like, of water. Like boxing or something. It makes it seem a bit more genuinely sportsmanship-like. Yeah, I think that's a way in wrestling where you could do that. And I would say, hey, that might keep everyone safe by a little bit of time, create that kind of chaotic atmosphere... You know, that's that's not a bad thing to do, is it? Someone gets a bit of a drink of water, you know? That's Absolutely, not so bad. Yeah, yeah. Better than the stories you hear of wrestlers who would literally roll under the ring to get us a drink of water and roll back out. I forget, there was some wrestler who like used to stash Gatorade under the ring and like they told a story about how in the middle of a match once they really needed to piss then, so they had to roll under the ring and do a piss. Uh. Gross! Don't do that. No. And the ring girls shouldn't have to have bedpans with them. That's no. just wrong, okay? The crowd at this point are agonized, but who are they going to root for? But we get the Japanese cyclone suplex in the end. Manami picks up the victory. And I was kind of like, at the end of the match, I'm not going to lie, I was like, oh, okay, is that it then? It was another really good match. I wouldn't say it was didn't seem particularly better than the one prior that we'd watched. I don't know how many pluses it got on the Fiery Star Wipe rating. But it's all about what happens next, Joe. What's the stipulation now? What's going to happen with Yamada because she's lost the match? So with hair versus hair matches, if you lose, that means that your hair gets chopped off yep. by your opponent. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, that's what's supposed to happen. Oh, this bit here. It, I can tell you right now, the yelps that came out of here, this was like watching a fucking you know, a Disney movie age six or something. It got quite emotional here. I thought I could hear the crowd chanting, chop it off. But I, <laughs> I think I'm maybe making this up. <laughs> But yeah, so instead of Manami taking the scissors, like she's supposed to, Yamada grabs them instead and just lops off a big chunk of her own hair. She's like, this is my fate. I I made this challenge. I accepted the challenge, so it's it's on me. I think the idea is that she's trying to make it easier for Toyota. Yeah, yeah. As in like, I know this is hard for you because we are friends, we're rivals. It's okay, I will make the first cut. So then the ref takes the scissors from Yamada and is like handing it to Toyota and she's like and he's like yes you you do this now you have to continue cutting the hair he is the most intimidating referee ever by the way he towers over fucking everyone in this scene and the fact that he's just there with the clippers and the scissors kind of like saying you gotta do it now yeah the ring is full of the the young prelim girls as well in there who are all kind of like trying to keep everyone separated and instead of Toyota chopping Yamada's hair she kneels at her feet 
and starts sobbing and then takes the scissors and starts cutting off her own hair. Oh my fucking God. Very poetic. It's so poetic. Yamada's just sitting there kind of like looking down at Toyota kind of with like respect, but also like a little bit of sadness. Like this isn't necessary for you. I don't want this. Um, And you have this moment then which is kind of like rudely interrupted by the referees is like all right now kind of time enough for that the ring girls are like come on now the referee gets in the way and is like right if you're not going to do it then you know well first of all you must do it and then she's like absolutely no way she's like pushing the refs out of the way and then the refs take them and start trying to shave your madder Minami starts fighting the little ring girls these little 16 year old girls who are like just there they're like trying to hold her back and she's like ah but she takes on the refs as well. The oh. refs are like trying to shave him out his head. And... To say that now as well, for 1990, what, we're at like 1994 thereabouts here, to have like a, a a woman like, you know, in the ring, like pushing back all these men. I mean, it seems like, yeah, cool thing to do in like 2020, like Becky Lynch would be doing that, right? This is like culturally for Japan, for wrestling, like this is huge. Like, this is a real fucking awesome scene to see in 94, man. That's yeah. awesome. Oh, fucking hell. So yeah, the hair finally gets cut now. And you have you have Toyota being kind of restrained by a bunch of men and women like while she's forced to watch Amada's head get completely shaved thoroughly. And very skillfully done by the referee as well, I have the to say. The crowd go deathly oh, dead, silent. Dead quiet, yeah. And Yamada's just sitting there in the chair. She's got her eyes closed and like she's just accepting of the fact that she's lost her hair. And she seems like, I think, anything, I think... I think you're supposed to feel like she's sad that it was the referee who did it and not her rival. Like, that she earned that right mm. and that she wanted, if anyone was to do it, it was for her to do it. Yeah, it's, it's this real kind of bittersweet thing where you kind of feel like Yamada is like the ultimate kind of, has, has ultimate sympathy here because she had tried so many times over and over again to, to beat Minami and to, to prove that she was, you know, as good as her training mate, as good as her rival. And she finally has a moment where she's like, I might just be as good. And then it turns out to be like, yeah, not only are you not as good, you're going to have to like lose your hair now. Which, of course, in the context of, of Joshi, losing your hair is like, you know, it's it's like losing one of the most important things about you in many respects. It is like your identity. And I think that's like, it's a real, they did a real good job of making you feel how important it was. The emotion the was, acting, ge- yeah. The acting is incredible. You have Yamada, as I said, like she's got her eyes closed while she's being shaved and she's just gently crying. Sobbing, yeah. I think, yeah. I think I can see real like, oh, tears. Oh no, yeah, there were yeah. real tears. Manami was bawling her eyes out as well. It was, yeah. And, <laughs> then they hug at the end. It's oh. really emotional. And the crowd oh. chant for Yamada as well at the end. It's just like, it's so, it's so well done and you've often talked about the lack of stories of like friendship or like you know rivalry done right in wrestling especially female friendship and female rivalry 100% you'd never get anything at this oh, no. level would absolutely you absolutely not can you fucking imagine a hair versus hair match between two women who are rivals and friends and then they, they just, I, but no it could not happen in WWE they would never they could never they just they just don't know how to have adult female friendship stories. Well, they, they did don't that know. with you know Mandy Rose and Sonia did the hair cutting it's stipulation the for them. It's not really. It's not the same. No. It's not the same at all. This was special because they are genuinely rivals. They genuinely respect each other, and it's what I was saying earlier about the fact that it's on the wrestlers to decide who yeah. their rivals are. It's not a case of like the booking being like, oh yeah, we've decided that you two are having a match tonight, so you're rivals now. Yeah, it, it kind actually of actually means something to them both. 
it just thought of when I was reading the interview with, you know, young 19-year-old Minami or whatever, and I was just thinking about this match, kind of going, like, my God, like, you, you've... You know, you and Yamada will tell some fucking beautiful stories. You know, they did continue their their feud later on in, in other companies in, in later in the 2000s and whatnot. But for many people who tweeted in, they said this is a moment that rendered them to tears. You know, people have said, like, just, you know, hearing people talk about it brought them yeah. to tears. I know it's... A, and I think it is definitely... It's a Japanese thing. It's not mm. just, like, a Joshi thing. It's a Japanese wrestling 100%. thing. Because you, you hear of these moments in New Japan as well. These emotional storytelling moments... Climaxes. Of, yeah, yeah. of friendships and rivalries that have gone on years, if not decades... And they, I just love the fact that they really value time and patience and the the long term memory of fans. They'll they'll reward you for paying attention and going. Oh yes, I remember. I know these two were friends when they first started training together. And as a reward for that, you will have one of the most emotional matches of their career. And these are the types of things that always stand the test of time. Yeah, you know, because I can go back and I can look at, at an emotional moment like like this from any period of time and it will always 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 hold up it's a simple simple thing it's a simple gold dust in wrestling tears you know <laughs> that's what it's honestly it's what it's all about you know you bring tears out of your performers you're gonna bring tears out of me trouble is though there's tears and tears though isn't there because i i have often said on this podcast how i don't like how often the female wrestlers in the wwe cry because mm. it's often like Oh, you're not going to begrudge anyone crying here, though, right? But this is a different type of crying. Mm. This is a very complicated story involving rivalry and friendship. And you instead in the WWE, it would be like, you're being mean to me. Bitch! I'm going to cry. (laughs) They they, they would have used the word bitch like five or six times. And then there would, of course, been the bit where the heel comes out and like your man is like hey Minami I've done some photoshop of you which you could look like balls and the crowd like boo I just I am flabbergasted that wrestling as an art form has managed to let the hair versus hair match be relegated to something that's like either like oh that's bad for her specifically or, or them specifically and not this like this is a bit of who you are you know, Drew Mac. If you if you cut your if you knew your onions, you could make Drew McIntyre and Seth Rollins or any of them boring lads who all look the fucking yeah. same. Make them give a shit about their hair and kind yeah. of say, "Hey, something's going to happen here." I think it's a challenge. I think wrestling should should embrace this. I think so. Yeah, nothing wrong is going to happen when you're shaven head, unless you're unfortunate like Raven and they do it the wrong way around and they scalp you by mistake. But other than that, nothing wrong can happen in wrestling if you shave a head, right? <laughs> I mean, I guess you could tell a bad story. Yeah. WWE has done that a lot of times. It has, absolutely. Or, as Mick Foley once said, I've seen hair versus hair matches between one man who was balding and you're the other one who had a crew cut. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> we've a lot to learn. Coming up next, from the Big Egg Wrestling Universe, a show that is, I shit you not, 10 hours long. And we have debated several times across time and space, if we could ever possibly review a show of that length. The answer seems to be a resounding, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, Big Egg Wrestling, though. I'm, I'm down for a bit of that. Yeah, a bit of that. A bit of that, a exactly. Bit of that. I, someday I think maybe we should do like a stream, 24-hour stream or something. We just, I guess it would be 24 hours, it'd be 10 hours. No, it would take you 24 hours, though, because every time you watch something like this, how many times did we have to pause and rewind when we were watching all of our matches here? Like, honestly, many, many times. Too many sequences of That's co- true. cool things happening. We got Aja Kong taking on Minami Toyota with the championship on the line. This was the first ever women's show in the Tokyo Dome. Whoa! 
holds around 60,000 people. Hence the 10-hour card. The idea was that they would just make it this super loaded card. I have heard from fans of it that the first three to four hours are just kind of worked shoot regular wrestling grappling matches with, you know, mostly young girls and such. So I think a lot of it is missable. Right. It is worth bearing in mind when you see all these people, you know, cheering for him tonight that they've sat through around nine hours of wrestling so far. <laughs> so it's like... WrestleMania. <laughs> I, yeah, I was going to say pandemic wrestling when they just like tape everything. In, like, what they, they did at the start of a pandemic tape everything in one... One big old go, yeah. yeah. At least, you know, if you're in the Thunderdome, you can sit at home, can't you? Yeah. Put you on a loop like Ferris Bueller or something. Minami, I wrote down here, she's all grown up. Yeah, she's got a really fancy robe now. Looks like it's made of latex and it's red. Oh, that big old robe is fucking incredible. She looks like a very top woman in, the, in, yes, the, in every definitely. sense of the word. And she also had insanely funky fucking music. Everyone's music when they were coming out here was, is always great in Japan in the early 90s, but there was a particular Katamari vibe to it, I thought. <laughs> had a sick bass line. I liked Aja Kong's music, best personally, because <laughs> it sounded like entrance music for The Undertaker, but like in circa 2003, like the Limp Biscuit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Eras. There was a lot of... <laughs> some kind of rap. Tell me about Aja Kong. How would you describe her? I'm sure I've asked you to describe her before, but she is a... A unique entity in professional wrestling and still going strong in 2020. She's a big, scary veteran lady who wears face paint that's kind of a bit like the Ultimate Warrior, is that right? You know, she's only like 20-something here. Yes, but she Both is... of them are like early 20s here. Yeah, yeah, obviously, this is 1994. But I want to point out that like Aja Kong had a long career. Oh, yeah, still like, does. She, she came up in the Awesome Kong episode. Yeah. Awesome Kong, obviously, who's like a fair bit younger than both of these women here. Like, yeah, she's she's still going. Like, she is a proper... I, th- I consider her, like, you know, a mainstay of the industry. 100%, because she does exactly the same here yeah, as she, she does when she showed up in AEW a yeah. couple of months back. She's so consistent. And, yeah, she's just really really big and scary. Shows no emotion. Yeah. I remember you saying before that some people compared her to Vader. Yes, and some someone said... Recommended this match particularly, because they've had a series of matches. Aja Kong, you know, the big powerhouse, Minami Toyota... The undead flying angel. It's obviously a match made in heaven. Someone tweeted me and said, out of the three matches their series they had, watch this one. He said it was like Shawn Michaels versus Vader or any of the bullshit or worrying that someone's going to get seriously hurt. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds right up my alley. But I think both of these amazing wrestlers at the service to to compare them to those individually troubled men. Aja Kong is very much her own entity and to see her come out and the Nami in this sea of humanity. It was like they're walking out into the Olympic Stadium or something like that. I think it's around 60,000 or thereabouts. Wow. And they were just a dot. They were lost. This huge, big, long ramp that runs all the way to the ring. It was breathtaking visually, despite the fact that, once again, we were watching something that was probably worse quality than we'd like and, you know, not as freely available as we yes. would like. Asha Kong's, like, very still, unemotional walk to the ring she's got a proper video game character walk yes like it reminds me specifically of a character from goemon like 
<laughs> mystical ninja star and goemon which is the character called abysmaru who just has this animation walk cycle which is exactly like aja kong it's very stiff very precise i was so fucking pumped for this match i wrote down i am so fucking pumped for this match in my notes because my favorite match i think i've seen in all of 2020 was when we watched aja kong versus bison kimura in AJW Destiny 95, which pretty much is a very fast, flippy woman getting the shit beaten out of her by an incredibly strong powerhouse in Aja Kong. And without exception, once again, Minami starts off her match at 150,000 miles an hour. Oh, my, she does a big, crazy roll thing again. I fucking love it. The Minami roll, where she rolls up the body and then rolls down the backside. That's very cool. The fact that she was able to do the things that she did still on Asia. I don't think there were any moves that she wasn't at least attempting to do on her that from her repertoire. Yeah, one move she does in particular kind of later on in this match is a German suplex with a bridge to Aja Kong, which is like, <sighs> it was impressive enough when she did that to Kyoko, because obviously Kyoko is quite a bit heavier than Toyota. Yeah. But yeah, Aja Kong is, is, is like four times the size of, of Toyota and yet she somehow manages I mean the German suplex alone to someone like that impressive yeah not impossible I, you know, I'm not that surprised that she can do it it's very impressive but it's the fact that she manages to do it with a bridge yeah it's fucking insane so I... she keeps her back bent her legs bent and she's on her tippy toes she reckons she's got like mad buff toes like the oh, toes yeah. just got like a big fucking vein and like a bicep on it or something yeah, like that for sure <laughs> And the great little thing about this match, and this is all the matches with Aja I've been told, which is because Aja is so much bigger than Minami, Minami, every single kick out, I'm talking like when it's like, you know, shoulder block, quick cover, every kick out is that proper power, you know, the, 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 the groin and the knees pointing up to the sky, just trying to muscle out because Aja is this dead weight on top of her. And Aja Kong... I've heard some kind of bits about her, obviously, from the Austin Kong episode. A lot of it is kind of like, oh, it's the myth, this big scary wrestler and all that jazz who, you know, chewed up rookies and spit them out. But there, you know, way you're not telling me that she doesn't put her full weight on her when she's pitting her and is like, come on, kick out that. Oh, yeah, for sure. But then I don't blame them for doing that at all. It makes it look better. And also, it's part of the job, isn't it? Like, yeah. you're supposed to be strong. You're supposed to be able to do this to an extent. Yeah. I kind of, you know, as far as, like, making things hard for your opponent goes, that's the stuff I like. Yeah, and they find spectacular new ways to take advantage of Minami's smallness. There are a couple of moves, particularly as a submission move, where she puts minami in this like camel clutch but she like folds up her arms and legs like she's going to stow her in the overhead compartment in the plane or some <laughs> such and then there's a move which we we decided to call a slingshot backbreaker was that it i mean i'm calling it a slingshot backbreaker okay how would you describe this horrible move and also do you want me to do it to you in the morning to help you wake up i would like you to do it to me in the morning but could you describe the move please because i am not confident doing this <laughs> okay so grab the person by their legs okay like you're gonna lean backwards and because of wrestling gravity you're going to then like go upright and then continue falling forwards but instead of hitting the mat you bounce against the ropes face first and then you bounce back where i'm on the ground with my knees prone and then you go from a standing position in this like pendulum motion right onto the knees now i've seen a lot of wrestlers do that in the past and it's kind of like you ready yeah and then as they're coming down like the hand is coming down and like their bum makes slight contact with their shins and they slowly lay across yeah she pretty much just landed straight on those knees and 
got broken in two. <laughs> yeah, it looks very nasty, very painful. Her hips are not like human hips because I don't think hips you're able to bend 180 degrees at that joint. I mean, you're very flexible. You can almost get there. But it's like she's a particularly broken toy or something like that. <laughs> yes, like a Barbie that your brother has just pulled in half. <laughs> there were no Barbies in our house, so my brother didn't get a pull in. No, because he that pulled part. them all in half. That's why. But, fun fact, once when I came back one weekend when my brother's band had come to stay the, the night in my parents' house, the drummer and the bass player went into my bedroom and took all my wrestling figures and put them in sexual positions. Well then. They were 25 years old. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even a joke, they were. <laughs> Every kick out is life in this match as far as I'm concerned. Now, I don't like a pile driver in wrestling. No, really? That's surprising because you at several points begged, I've got this written down, no, please stop doing pile drivers. <laughs> I've often been known to complain about that. Like, stop doing pile drivers in there. I mean, this is the move that broke Steve Austin's neck. Yeah. Right? It's also the move that Jerry Lawler made famous, so it's problematic for another reason. <laughs> <laughs> but she does, like, jumping pile drivers. She holds her up for ages and then just jumps up really high. And then... I love the screams that she does from the pile drivers. That's my favourite thing about it. They're, they're terrifying. <sighs> and it's not just the scream. It's like the scream followed by the tiny yelp yeah. as she gets thrown. Like, it's just authentic. It feels to me like she's just allowing her body to make the sounds that it makes. She's muscled up. And as she's been pulled up in this position, she fights. She's like, ah! And then she's held for a few seconds just until, like, the blood ran to her head. And yeah, you're right. She just goes like, ah! Right before you get the big boom and her head smashes into the mat. Now, my my theory is that because Asha's got, she's big of backside and generous of hip and thigh, that that would give you a nice kind of cushion there for Manami's little head that she could be pile driven over and over and over again and be okay. I was pleading with the television from a match that happened 26 years ago. I admit I wasn't in my most sensible of mindsets in this match. <laughs> There's a point here where it got very over the top and very emotional and I struggle to compare it to anything other than a ridiculous over the top fight scene in anime but when Aja picks up Minami smashes her into the corner and then runs towards her going Toyota <laughs> yeah I'm pretty cool with that that's awesome yeah, that was cool so Minami starts to get a little bit of uh, offense finally starts to find her way against the even though she's been pile driven over and over and over again yeah, so to, I guess, make her come back from the repeated pile drivers, she does this really unexpected split kick to the corner where she just kind of, like, divides herself in two. <laughs> <laughs> and what, and that she just... She stood up, but her leg is, like, completely she, split she out. <laughs> oh, that's the noise right there, folks. Oh. herself in two. And then she, yeah, she does this, this kick to the corner and then jumps to the outside. Sending Asia flying over is so, it's so cool to see her take that tumble. <laughs> but she does mess it up. She trips on her shit. Yeah. But then she makes it almost perfectly even still. It's almost like she uses the trip that she makes by mistake to her advantage to give her momentum. She uses her shin almost as she'd use her foot. Yeah. Like, yes, she's caught on the rope, but then she uses the momentum of her shin pressing against the rope to give her some lift. It's unbelievable it because there were a few times when she was doing stuff on the ropes and I was saying to you, like, I've never seen anything like that in wrestling before. Yeah. And you were like, what do you mean? They're just jumping off the ropes. And I was like, 
yeah, but she's like not using her hands at all to steady herself. Yeah. She's steadying herself using just her feet. It's literally like watching someone jump into the ocean onto a surfboard that's just there and managing to ride the waves. It does kind of beg your belief. And I think it all comes from her her legs and her feet. She's got this unknown, unknowable strength in there, yeah. I think. Oh, and because it's 1994, and a full year before they ever used tele- tables on television in the World Wrestling Federation, Manami Toyota decides to take out a bloody table. Way Yeah, get the tables. Get the actual tables. Oh, boy. <laughs> they don't go through the table, because it's real table. Yeah, all they do is kind of ruin someone's table, but yeah. it looks really sore, if that, that helps, you yeah, know? Yeah, it does look really cool. <laughs> So we get the spinning back fist, which is reversed into somehow a suplex from Manami. Manami tries to go for the Manami roll again. She does that big like, kind of spin up and she just gets caught midair and splatted into the ground. I apologize in advance that I've gotten any of Manami's moves wrong, seeing as she has the Japanese ocean bomb, the Japanese ocean cyclone suplex, the Japanese ocean queen bomb, and also the Japanese ocean suplex, which is different from the Japanese ocean cyclone suplex. But there was a cool thing she did it towards the end of the match here where she had Aja up in the corner and she kind of put her legs around her head and just splatted Aja's head into the mat. That's called the Victory Star Drop. Victory Star Drop? What a name! Yeah, it makes it seem a lot more fun. It's like, do it! Do the Victory Star Drop! Break her neck! <laughs> Kill her! And then after that, Aja just fucking sits on her from the second rope. I thought she killed her. Like, how do you don't... She, her, she didn't put her arms to protect her. How do you do that? Be extremely tough. Here's a question. Yeah. And I've, I've asked you this before on, on how to. Yeah. And I think it's just kind of important because you've, re- you've been really, really good for you know, a lot of the, the listeners who, who tune in and don't know about this stuff and maybe wanted to ask in the playground back in the day but felt shy. Right. How much would that hurt your boobs? Depends whereabouts you land. Depends. She landed right on her chest. Depends on prone. your boobs. Depends on the time of the month. Depends mm. on... Time. Oh, of course, yeah, sensitivity depends changes. Depends on how old you are. The moon has an effect. The moon has an effect. Your age has an effect. Your lifestyle has an effect. Your mood, your stress, they can all have different effects as well. So it's... If you had implants, I wouldn't recommend this. Sure, that's that's a that's a problem waiting to happen, right? I don't know. I'm not qualified to speak on, on implants. I don't... I don't know. <laughs> so scary, Joe. I mean, I, yes, I imagine it's horrible regardless because I think the nastiest thing about it, like, yes, obviously it's horrible to get, like, punched in the boob. Because you talked before about the, the chop on the breast to everyone was, like, fucking horrible. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I think the worst thing about this move would be the fact that it would knock the wind out of you. Mm. Like, it's just your whole chest suddenly is has no air left in it and it's just, uh, you just, it's like you're winded, which is... Uh, horrible makes you feel sick i see i mean you say like kind of chest but i guess it's the size of Asian. the fact that i say she sits out like her legs are completely bent out like she sat down full extension she covers pretty much manami's entire torso when yeah. she lands on her and the uh, crowd go oh. mad when she still kicks out I, I think they they don't know what to make of her like you know it's just and that's what i love about manami is that she constantly even though you know to expect at this point that she's like she can't be hurt she's fucking indestructible all that even still it's just she has that little x factor that thing that stops wrestlers being able to 
do kickouts non-stop and it not be boring for them but boring for other wrestlers yeah. she's special she's not like all those other people you're complaining about on dynamite <laughs> we then get a move which is called a screwdriver where you get picked up for a suplex really high in the air and then you're dropped right in your head into another the fourth sit out jumping pile driver of the match Azure Kong picks up a win and I was like yeah that was fucking exhausting to watch and I want to see all the other matches in their series now that was kind of crazy but how'd you get on big and little big man little big versus little is always a fun time in wrestling right yeah and I'm a big fan of big versus little I think it's a it's a traditional classic story I really I love this match it was um some excellent wrestling very mm. fast and impressive but i really liked the combination of styles like the fact that aja kong does wrestle like a big person yeah which i always love to see the fact that manami wrestles like a little person but she has so much strength that she manages to pull these moves off that you wouldn't expect against an opponent like aja kong and so yeah. impressively done what was so cool was that you had things that manami always did like her front drop kick just doesn't work on aja kong which i love yeah like imagine like, if you had like a rick flair having a match and his chop doesn't work suddenly or like you know like this like, your go-to doesn't work and i love that you then have to do the, all these other moves and kind of tell the story around it and you never know what to expect in that sense then and you have that little bit of old school wrestling intrigue of like well fuck azure kong i've heard all sorts so like you know if she wants to win the match she'll win the match that's you know whenever there's that kind of stuff in wrestling it kind of get that Ken Shamrock Vader vibe, like of anything could technically happen with this person if they so choose. Yeah. How did it stack up with the other matches, though? Was it was it more enjoyable, less enjoyable, as enjoyable? I think this was my favorite match that we Ooh. covered for this episode. I I gave it the highest star rating, which is four and a half hey, stars baby. out of five. I mean, it's 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 really hard to compare it to the first match because they are very very different styles. Mm. And they are telling very, very different stories. And Minami doesn't wrestle the same match. You know, we mentioned a lot of wrestlers who have kind of uh, routines and stuff like that. But I think you're not going to get the same song and dance every time with Minami. Her moves aren't the routine. Her moves are part of of her wrestling and the story that she'll always tell in the match. And that's why I love the most about it is that you have someone who, you know, yeah, she's going to do a fucking great moonsault. She's going to do a bunch of dives. But it's not just about the dive. It's the fact that she might do three in a row. Or that, you know, it's you never know what to expect from her. I honestly can say to you wholeheartedly, pop in Manami Toyota into YouTube and I would suggest checking out any match of hers and you will be blown away if you've never seen her before. We'll put up some links to some extra matches and some extra bits and bobs. There's a BBC documentary that I think would be really good for folks to check out if you want to find out more what it's like to train as a Joshi. It's kind of eye-opening wasn't strictly related to Minami and we already talked about it a bit more and Tiger Driver have also released a really long playlist that has loads of kind of Minami Toyota matches and whatnot it is hard to recommend it in some respects because I couldn't say to you Joe hey just go here to watch Minami Toyota matches mm. and like another little part of it is you know she retired she left all Japan women's wrestling in you know, 2002 and in the late 90s, Joshi Wrestling took a notable downturn. And even though she was still kind of you know, the legend and whatnot, she'd come out and do the, the Legends matches and have many matches a year. And it was kind of sad to see in like, you know, 04, 05, that she was still wrestling and she was as good as she ever had been. But the crowds were getting smaller and smaller as, unfortunately, like women's wrestling in Japan kind of went through a bit of a dark age. It is called by fans as, as the dark age. Right. She did announce a retirement in 2007, 2008, or it was assumed that she was retiring because she does the thing of 
she wrestled like 20 opponents in one night and that's like all right assuming you're retiring then (laughs) why else would you want to do that when she came back in 2010 and this was kind of like it's a, I don't want to spend too much time talking about it because it's like I've I've learned my lesson talking about like modern problems in a in a classic wrestling episode, but we had a lot of people who were obviously agonizing about the fact that their experience with Minami Toyota and where they first saw them or where they you know many people saw her live was when she toured in 2010 with the wrestling promotion Chikara, which in addition to it finding out that a lot of the people involved at the high level, particularly the highest level were wrongins and not only are had been the entire time and there's you know there's a lot to be desired there i didn't review any chikara matches even though my first matches with you know watching with adam and billy we watched minami toyota matches in 2012 and got our mind blown but i don't want to say like hey i'm gonna go spend money on something that i find morally dubious and i can't recommend you do the same as well so yeah she did do some stuff for like oz academy Pro Wrestling Eve did some stuff with her as well. And it was cool that she did get to tour the UK at least. And people did get to see her and her fans got to meet her. I think that's what's cool because she didn't really wrestle in America at all in her career. She never went over to WWE or, you know, anything like that. In many respects, I don't think she was like kind of fully made aware of the extent of her fan base, you know, over those years. She did retire in 2017. And that's what our amazing artwork that Dan did is based off of. And she was obviously very tired at the end of her match because you know how she decided to retire, Joe. How? She had fifty-one matches. <sighs> fifty-one. She had fifty-one matches. The retirement show was her final match. She Why fifty-one? Ha- she took on fifty wrestlers, fifty female wrestlers of all the all the wrestlers in the in the world at the time that she she wanted to face. A one-minute time limit for all of those matches. Her final opponent was one of only two women that she ever trained, a wrestler by the name of Fujimoto. And it was very, very special because she is the only person she's ever passed on her moniker to. So Fujimoto is now known as the Flying Angel. And she passed on the Japanese Cyclone Suplex as well. That's like, you know, very special. And Bea Priestley, Will Ospreay's uh, partner and someone who has no shortage of detractors, let's just say, she started doing that in Japan a couple of years ago and uh, Minami came out of retirement on Twitter to be like, stop doing that fucking move. I gave it to someone for a very special reason. You're not the flying angel. Fuck off. Oh my God, that's awesome. Blacklist this. <laughs> oh my God. That's the shit that needs to happen. Yeah. Oh my goodness. The number of times in this podcast where especially Japanese women have their moves taken by Western wrestlers with a huge Western audience mm-hmm. and then suddenly it's like, oh, that's just their move. I love her for doing that. Yeah, it's Good cool. for her. Her final tally on her retirement match was 29 victories, 12 losses, and 9 draws. So, and it was really interesting because they do, apparently, like, there was a mixture of, like, there were some kind of comedy spots. They brought back some of her old rivals. There were some kind of names from around the scene, like Emi Sakura and stuff like that. They brought back some of the legendary names, like the original Asuka and stuff like that. So I think that'd be really fun to do as like a pay-per-view classique sometime. Oh like, yeah, that would be banging. One nice long, and she's done that a few times. There's another time she faced like 12 male wrestlers in a what? row as well. And this is kind of like almost like the uh, the format for if you become a legend in Joshi, you know, you have to do the gauntlet. You face everyone, so you've you got imagine, nothing left to do. Imagine The Undertaker doing that. <laughs> Any number of one minute match. Oh God, almighty! That'd be really funny. I'd it love would be. that. It'd be so funny. You could do that with Randy Orton, just about like before he before he decides he never wants to do sit ups ever again. 
Well, Joe, what do you think of Minami Toyota? I mean, is she someone who you would like to see more of? Yeah, definitely. I think that's the, that's the hardest thing about this episode, and I kind of expected it, really. Which is, as you said earlier, the footage available, there's not loads of it. It's not in great quality. There's not loads of documentaries we can watch. A lot of the information is kind of hidden or a little bit secretive or sadly lost. Yeah, it's. I've loved what I've seen. I just... It, it leaves me... Yeah, I, I, I loved it, but it's left me wanting more of her character mm. and I think that's the hardest thing is because obviously I don't speak Japanese so I can't and there's not loads of translated versions of her interviews and promos and stuff like yeah that's a part of wrestling I love the most is the character work and I know Japan takes that very seriously and so every time we do an, an episode about a Japanese wrestler especially one who's more of a I was going to say a vintage veteran. So maybe he's not went over to the West as much, maybe. Yeah. yeah. I just, I, I want to see who they are mm. within the world of wrestling. I know there's a lot of like fan projects and stuff there. We'll, we'll endeavour, you know, to, to include stuff on the recommended bonus viewing and listening and whatnot. Honestly, if you want to help out in that respect and reach out and provide any more info, if there's any good resources, get in touch on How to Wrestling on Twitter or Facebook.com slash How to Wrestling, and we'll try and share it as much as possible. But I can say that the Manami Toyota retirement show, definitely a contender for a pay-per-view classic. And another thing as well, there are a couple of... She's known as like both the queen of the gauntlet match, but also of doing like Iron Woman matches as well, like matches where she's going past 60 minutes. Wow. And there were a few people who were saying, you know, it would be a good time to maybe revisit that how-to long matches that you did Ooh. a couple of years ago and maybe drew, view it through the lens of some of Manami's longer matches as well. So don't stop those recommendations coming because we will be revisiting this very, very soon in the new year. Well, that does it for our look through some of the highlights and the career of Manami Toyota. Now let's go check out your Facebook messages and your tweets all about how to Manami Toyota. And we're back. Going to take a look at some of your tweets and your Facebook posts all about Manami. And uh, I will say from the offset, a slight issue with some of our tweets and messages. Not that we don't appreciate all of them. It's skewed very heavily towards people recommending matches hmm. and specific like or like moves or like clips and things like that. But I guess that's always going to be the case when, you know, we're a Western podcast that is in English and we're covering a Japanese wrestler with such a long career. Yeah, that's true. Like inevitably it's going to be more about wrestling and inevitably less about like storylines and, and promos. Yeah, but it is very obvious the uh, the love and the appreciation for, for Minami's in-ring work and her very storied career. These ones firstly coming to us over on the Twitter. Give us a follow at HowToWrestling. First up, from Leave It Be 2022, from her gear to her more moves to her in-ring style, Minami Toyota is arguably the most influential women's wrestler of all time. Once you see Toyota's work, you'll realise just how many wrestlers use her as a template for how to be a wrestler. It's crazy as well that she's going to be one of those wrestling names that it's kind of like she's already, there's already like a generation removed from that, I think. I don't think you're going to look at like a crop of wrestlers in 2020 and go, oh, these are all inspired by Minami Toyota. But they're probably all inspired by someone who was very inspired by Minami yeah. Toyota. She's like the pixies of, uh, of, of wrestlers. <laughs> Everyone who liked Minami Toyota went on to form a band, Daimin Wrestler. <laughs> Next up from Puro Podcast, fun fact, 
Manali Toyota is big into motorbikes, and the number one thing she wanted to do when she came to the UK is visit the Harley Davidson showroom <laughs> in London. I especially love this fact because awesome. <laughs> long-time listeners of the show might know that I used to work at a publishing company that specialised in magazines about motorbikes. Oh my god, we missed the crossover of we a century! the crossover, and genuinely, when I was working there, we were in talks about doing a wrestling magazine, and the wow. crossover with wrestling and motorcycles. How cool would that have been if in this other reality I get to meet Manami Toyota? I don't know who the fuck she is. <laughs> like, but you like bikes. Oh man, that sucks to me. Like, I've loved so many of her interests that we've seen and the music and all that and the lighting and the costumes. At the end of the day, we also want to see the flying angel come out in a big fat hog, right? Honestly, I mean, I can't think of anyone who could pull off the Undertaker gimmicks, like both the dead man, but also the American badass, better than Manami Toyota. <laughs> Genuinely most versatile. Manami needs that Limp Bizkit endorsement, is what we're saying. <laughs> Over here on facebook.com slash wrestling. hey, give us a like. And the best thing you could do if you're ever on our Facebook page, you can actually leave us a review and let us know even what you think of our podcast. Similarly, wherever you're getting your podcast from, iTunes, etc., Leave us an old rating or review. We got a recommendation here from friend of the podcast, Jeff Maxfield, who, oh, fun news. He sponsored an episode recently for his wrestling figures, and he only got bloody funded on Kickstarter. So one of the happy stories of 2020. Good job, Jeff. He's got a recommendation here. Gaia Girls. It was a documentary that came out in the year 2000. We mentioned briefly earlier on. That will be in the recommended bonus watching. Check it out on howtowrestling.com. Intense documentary. Worth the watch if you want to find out more about what it takes to become a women's wrestler in japan in the dark ages of the late 90s and early 2000s fascinating i'd love to watch that lastly now from Stephen muses she's honestly the best wrestler of all time her high flying is second to none her confidence in going off the top rope is startling especially her springboards where she wouldn't use her hands to balance herself how again she, do you do that she had fantastic <laughs> suplexes maybe my favorite move was the rolling cradle pin and there's a reason Meltzer gave her the most five star matches including two in one night almost any match with her in it is worth watching including plenty of her non five star efforts I'll uh, finish heaping praise now and go and find some suggestions which we've watched <laughs> <laughs> I think like what is definitely apparent about Minami is that a lot of wrestlers I think a legend can build up around them and whatnot, and very often in wrestling that legend or the myth is very easily shattered of you know whether this person's the toughest wrestler in the world or they have the hardest hitting matches yeah, or or even in cases where wrestlers are kind of shadowed by their own notoriety yeah in that like kind of it, it can be quite difficult to live up to the specter of, yeah. of your own legend and whatnot cough cough undertaker uh, but this, i can think of countless examples and it's always in the west as well yeah. where it's someone who is like puffed up and made up to be this big massive deal and then they struggle to live up to that yeah. see case in point the return of sting no not this time back in 2015 it's it's quite difficult but i find that minami Maybe it's part of it is the fact that there's still the kind of the language barrier and it's kind of it's it's old footage a lot of it is and it's kind of far away and whatnot from a long time ago and a continent far far away, but I feel that her legend is very much 
the myth is very easy to keep alive because the myth and the legend are so close to what the reality is. It's a woman who really is an exceptional wrestler. Absolutely. And I think it goes back to what we were saying kind of at the start of the episode, which is that in Japan, the booking seems to follow the natural career of the wrestler rather than in the West, where it seems to be, right, this is your story. You've got to live up to it now. That's much harder, isn't it? Than just being like, wow, you're a great wrestler. We all think you're amazing. We're going to now talk about you as if you are great and amazing. Wow. Well, you've actually, I don't know if you realize you've done it or not, but you've set us up for our next episode, our first episode of 2021. We'll be be coming into the new year with uh, with a bit of vim and vigor because we're going to talk about someone who repeatedly was told, this is what your character is going to be. This is going to be your story. A young man who came into the World Wrestling Federation after finishing Paddy fucking last in the Olympics, but was viewed with a world of potential. The next episode, someone's going to get the wig split because it's all about the world's strongest man, Mark Henry. And oh boy, it's going to be a good time. What do you know about sexual chocolate so far? I know he's legitimately like, the strongest man in the world. Yeah. I know that Vince McMahon, in all his faults, once challenged Mark Henry to a, like a weightlifting competition. <laughs> and then what? apparently, apparently he tried to like keep up with Mark Henry's reps. And then Mark Henry actually had to stop because Vince outrepped him. But the next day, Vince was like, literally couldn't lift his arms. And Mark Henry was like, fine. This is a problem. Now. You've run away with your Vince McMahon stories. I don't even know what's true anymore. Like, that could well be very much true. It could well be like <laughs> just some myth that Vince McMahon put out there. I've read two different versions. And one of them was by Chris Jericho. I, uh, I, I think this is true. Oh, uh, well, they, I mean, Mark Henry has got a lot to live up to in a weight of expectation because... He is someone who's shown up on previous episodes. He's also someone who is showing up kind of semi-frequently as an active wrestler when you first started watching, I think, as well. I don't know. I think he was showing up now and then. He was definitely around, but I don't feel I've seen him wrestle. Well, tell you what, folks. World's on our best salmon blazers. Mm. We're going to pretend to retire, and we're going to have an absolute rip-roaring good time. We're after match recommendations. We're after feats of strength, stories, moments, a long story career. Going back to the mid to early 90s, all the way what? up to modern, t- modern time. He likens himself to a modern-day Luke Cage. So if you have any instances or, t- or stories about his advocacy work that he's been doing or his charity work in recent years I I know that Mark Henry's been a very busy boy since he's left the world of wrestling I can't wait to tell you everything I know and I can't wait to find out a whole lot more which is always the best setup for an episode I think yeah I, I really like what little I've seen of Mark Henry I think the only thing I've really really seen of his other than when he was obviously best Santa was <laughs> the yeah, his fake retirement. Uh, don't forget Mae Young as well. Oh, and of course, how could we forget Mae Young? I how could we forget? Classic. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to have a high-protein diet between now and the new year. We will be back at you with all about the world's strongest man. Don't forget the hashtag, HowToMarkHenry. You can, of course, check that out on the Facebook facebook.com forward slash HowToWrestling or over on the Twitter at HowToWrestling. Thanks again, everyone, for all of your help with the Manami episode. And again, thank you, everyone, for helping us get through 2020. If we've helped you get through 2020 in one small way, well, then it's just paying you back because we've got the best fans in the world. And (laughs) this has only been possible because of the support of our fans who've kept us going through what has easily been the weirdest year podcasting. Yeah, well, at least we've gotten to spend it 
making noises from our mouths for our listeners' ears. Yes, that's what they're calling podcasts in these it's days. Catchy, it's what my parents call them. <laughs> well, we'll see you in 2021 for Mark Henry. Until then, it's a goodbye from me, Kevin. And a goodbye from me, Joe. And we'll see you next time on How to Wrestling. See ya.